Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. exactly what we're going to talk about today. Again, it's so good to see all of you here worshiping with us. Um, We are in a series called Always Ready. And what we're doing is we are defending the Christian faith. There are questions that our culture throws at us as Christians. And so we're trying to handle the big five that our culture throws at us to try to say, you know what, there's no evidence. There's no reason why you should believe. And we come back and go, no, there is. And each week we have given you evidence for reasons to believe in our faith. And today we're going to do the same thing. So what I want you to do is go and take your Bibles, turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, and do this as well. Take out these Bible study outlines. We provide these for you so you can take notes. We encourage you to follow along and take notes. Why? Because God's going to speak to you about specific areas in your life, and you need to write it down and document what God is saying to you. Now, in this series, as we've been trying to, you know, defend our faith, you know, a lot of Questions can come our way. Okay, does science disprove God? We saw that the first week. Is the Bible really true? We saw that last week that it is. But now we're going to have a topic that probably, I don't know, it may be the most politically incorrect thing that we say as Christians. That is probably the most offensive thing that we may say to our secular culture. And it's this. Ready? Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. Now, some people get, will push back on that and go, how can you Christians say that? And we just go, you know what? We didn't originally say it. Jesus did. Jesus is the one who made that narrow statement. Jesus is the one who said, I'm the only way. Now, what's amazing about Christ is that he would often say things that would just go against the grain. He would say things that would go against what culturally people believe. He would say things that, you know what, would go against our human nature. Things like this. The way to save your life is to lose it. Or how about this statement? The first will be last, and the last will be first. Or Jesus also said, rejoice when you're being persecuted. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. But probably the most outlandish statement that Jesus makes is the passage we're going to study today. It's John chapter 14, verse 6. Look at what Jesus claims. He says this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that statement raises more blood pressures, causes more blood to boil in people than just about any other statement because it seems so narrow. It seems so exclusive. In fact, notice how one agnostic put it. He put it this way. He says, quote, Christians are a small minority in the world. 
approximately four of every five people on the face of the earth believe in gods other than the Christian God. Are we to believe that only Christians are right? And so when we as Christians say Jesus is the only way, our world hears that and what they hear is you're just being arrogant or that's being bigoted or that's narrow-minded or that is intolerant. And it seems like being intolerant is the greatest sin we could ever sin in our culture today. Now, let me just quickly add. I do not believe that we as Christians should ever be intolerant. Okay? We should be tolerant if tolerance is defined appropriately. What do you mean by that? Well, I may not agree with you, but you know what? I'm going to still respect you. I'm going to still try to treat you with honor and respect. I'm going to try to love you in Christ. Um, And even though I may disagree with you, I'm going to give you the right to believe what you believe. That's what tolerance is. But I also expect you to return the favor and be tolerant to me and my belief. Okay? Now, that's tolerance. But that is not what tolerance is today in our culture. In our culture today, you know what tolerance is? Tolerance says this. All truth claims are equal. There is no absolutes. There's no right or wrong. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. All truth claims are equal. Therefore, you must treat them all the same. And you can never speak against my truth. Why? Because if you do, you're being a hater. And so you can never call anybody or something they do a sin. Why? Because that, that, that would be the ultimate sign of intolerance in our culture. Now, I believe that we're called to be, you know, tolerant, and yet we as Christians have a distinctive. Our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, makes the most narrow statement anyone's ever made. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? And the fact is, here's the deal. If that statement is true, it's the most important statement you will have ever heard in your life. But if it's not true, it's the biggest lie you've ever been told. And you've got to determine which is it. Today, I want to seek to prove to you that Jesus Christ really is the only way. Okay? So what I want to do today is I want to look at the four truth claims that Jesus makes in that one verse. Here it is. The very first claim Jesus makes is this. Jot this down. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way. Look at it again, verse 6. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Several years back, whenever Bill O'Reilly was on Fox News on the O'Reilly Factor, he summed up the prominent view of religion in our culture. He makes this statement. Look at what he said. The most important thing I can say about religion is that it is a good thing for all of us to have. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Now, Bill O'Reilly unwittingly shared with us the first myth about religion. Basically, what Bill O'Reilly is saying is what our culture says, and it's this. Ready? All religion is basically the same. Doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something, all religion is basically the same. All religion is equal. Has anybody ever come to you? I mean, I have people that come to me and they go, you know what? All religions are basically the same. And I go, really? You're telling me that the Branch Davidians and their cult leader, David Koresh, molesting children is equal to Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins? 
No, not all religions are equal. I mean, they'll, they'll quickly back away and go, well, 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 maybe not the cults like that, but the five major religions, they, they are basically equal. I mean, you know what? They, they have different paths, different turns, but they, they all end up going the same way. So does one bumper sticker put it like this. It says, God's too big to fit into one religion. Those who think differently think too highly of themselves. Now, whenever I hear people say that, you know what, all religions are basically the same, I got us almost snicker because all that does is reveal their ignorance. Why? Not being cruel. It just simply means they haven't studied the other religions. I have. Can I tell you? They are not the same. There's distinct differences, and the differences between the major religions are so different that they're irreconcilable. Such as what? Well, um... Their view of God. Buddhism doesn't even believe in a personal God. Hinduism doesn't believe in a personal God either, but you can worship thousands of little, you know, demigods and idols. You have Islam, Christianity, and Judaism believe there's one true God, and yet they define him differently. I mean, think about it. If Christians are right, then Muslims and Jews are not worshiping God as he really is, because Jesus is the Son of God. But if... Jews and Muslims are right, and Jesus is just a mere teacher and not the Son of God, then we as Christians are not worshiping God the right way either. Now, here's the deal. Somebody's wrong. That's not being bigoted. It's basic logic. Somebody's wrong here, right? Now, now, you know, let me give you another thing. What happens when you die? Okay, you have Muslims and Christians say that either you go to heaven or you go to hell, okay? Um, Hindus say that you're reincarnated over and over and over again. You know, Buddhists say you're reincarnated and then you just dissolve into nothingness. Now, even a child will realize you can't do all of them. Again, somebody's wrong. Even the majority of the population of the earth is wrong. That's not bigotry. That's simple math. Okay? Makes sense? But besides that, our view of God and what happens when we die, I mean, how do you fix our problem? I mean, how are you saved, right? I mean, that's one thing that all religions have in common. They they all believe that this world's broken, but they all have a definition of what brokenness is. And so each one of them has a system of how you get back to God. You have, and I put this on your outline so that you can just see it real briefly there. You have Hinduism that basically says, okay, the answer is self-denial. And through yoga and meditation and good karma, you progress through many reincarnations until you finally are absorbed into Brahma. God bless you. Go do it, right? Or you know what? The second is Buddha. Now, Buddha was a Hindu, but he even made it more restrictive. He said our problem is the desire for pleasure. So he came up with what's known as the Eightfold Path to eliminate all desires and cravings. And after many reincarnations, you reach nirvana. And then there is Islam. Islam says there's one true God, and our sin has separated us from this one true God. So how do you get back to him? Well, you've got to confess Allah as God, Muhammad as his prophet, and you pray five times a day facing Mecca, give your alms, do good deeds, and fast yearly, and if Allah gives you mercy, you might get to heaven. And then you have Judaism. Judaism says, okay, your sin has separated you from God. Well, how do you get back? Well, through prayer, repentance, obedience to the law, you might be saved. That's all the systems. And then you have Christianity. 
And you'll notice that Christianity is different. Right? It's not based on what you do. What is it? Through faith in Jesus Christ and his death for our sins and resurrection, it's based on what he did, we are saved and restored back to God. Do you see the differences? I hope you do. See, there's a uniqueness about Christianity, and it's the uniqueness of the person of Christ. None of the other religions claim that their founder is God. Jesus claims to be the son of God. See, all the other religions, they say, hey, follow me, and I'll show you the way. Jesus says, I am the way. The other religions say, hey, follow me, and I'll show you where to find truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus claims to be the Son of God, and he proved it by rising from the dead. But besides the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, you have the uniqueness of how we are saved. Think about it. All the other religions are sort of a do-it-yourself religion. I mean, how about this? I mean... Yesterday, I went to Home Depot and Lowe's getting stuff for do-it-yourself projects. Anybody got do-it-yourself projects, right? I mean, you, you, you say, I ain't paying nobody to do that. I'm doing it myself, right? And so you do the, your do-it-yourself project. Well, that's most world religions. It's your do-it-yourself project. You got to do, you got to do, 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 do. You got to strive. You got to try harder. You know what? They're going to give you the list. Here's the list of do's. Here's the list of don'ts. Do the do's and do, don't do the don'ts. Then maybe you'll get to heaven if you get mercy, Right? I mean, that's the world religion. You can spell all world religions simply as D-O, do. But Christianity is completely different, isn't it? Christianity is not spelled D-O, do. It is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Jesus Christ on the cross dies for our sins. He provides the way. Folks, that's not bigotry. That's the mercy of God. And so, you know, somebody's got to be wrong. But I think that based on the uniqueness of the claims of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and how all the other religions try to get to God versus Christ providing a way to God, it seems that Jesus' way really is the only way. Now, you've got to make the choice, but it seems to me Jesus really is the only way. But then Jesus makes a second truth claim, and it's this. Jot this down your outline. Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Look at it again, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You go, in what way is Jesus the truth? Well, Jesus embodies the truth of God. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the truth of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. I mean, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says this, that Jesus is the exact representation of the very nature of God. Whenever you see Jesus, you see God. When you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. You want want to see what God thinks about something? Look at Jesus. You want to see how God feels about something? Look at the life of Jesus. You want to know what God says is sin? Look at what Jesus says is sin. Whenever you look at what Jesus says is right or wrong, he embodies the very truth of God. Jesus is the truth. Now, the problem is that we now live in a day and age where nobody has any patience for somebody claiming to have the truth. You ain't telling me he's the truth. I'll be my own truth, right? And so they thumb their nose, they clench their fists and says, yeah, you know, you're not going to tell me there's a chasm between me and God and Jesus alone fills that, bridges that gap. I mean, you can't tell me that, you know, that may be your truth, but it's not my truth. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? And I'm always taken back when they say that. I'm like, what? You mean there's multiple truth? There's multiple truth? 
Now, let me put it like this. Um, we all live under the laws of gravity, right? And you may think that you have the truth that you can fly. But guess what? The laws of gravity are going to prove you wrong. Make sense? There's only one truth. There's only one truth. Now, that infuriates our culture, so they'll come back and they'll say, no, there is no absolute truth. You can't know for sure. There's no absolute truth. And again, whenever I hear that, I just almost sort of chuckle. And the reason why is because that statement alone is a self-refuting argument. It's a self-contradictory argument. You go, what do you mean? Well, it's, remember Yogi Berra, the great baseball player? He used to have these things called yogiisms. And he said these statements, and they're funny because they were self-contradicting. Like what? Well, how about this one? Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't go to yours. <laughs> okay, now wait a minute. How can a person pay their last respects to me if they're already dead? That, that, that doesn't work, right? Or how about this one? Nobody goes to that restaurant anymore. It's too crowded. And you go, wait a minute. It's either crowded or not crowded. It can't be both. You see, that's a self-contradictory statement. Well, that's what it is. Whenever people come to you and they make statements like this, there is no truth. And you go, is that statement true? There are no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure about that? Or how about this one? You can't know anything for sure. Are you really sure about that? Well, I don't think that anybody should impose their values on somebody else. Well, let me ask you, is that your value system? And are you trying to push it on me? You see, I believe the most intolerant people of our culture today are individuals that hate biblical truth. They don't like us converting other people to our worldview, and yet that's what they do all the time. And any time you contradict them, you know what? The political correctness Nazis will come out and they'll shout you down. Why? Because they have no tolerance for us declaring we have truth. What's the point? The point is that everybody makes declarations, and every one of us are making truth claims, and every truth claim is exclusive. Their truth claim is exclusive, and so is ours. But here's the deal. When you throw God and his truth out, you don't have anything left. When you throw God out of the equation and his truth that has stood the test of time for thousands of years, when you throw it out, all you got left is your individualism. All you got left is your personal truth. And you don't even have a category anymore for mental illness. Why? Because it's my self-identity. It's my biology. It's my personal choice. Um, last year, there was a group of folks that met in Austin, Texas. It was a forum, and these were individuals that were declaring themselves transhuman. You go, what's transhuman? These are individuals that say they want to be cyborgs. They want to be part human, part um, mechanical, part robotic. They think that's the wave of the evolution of the future. And they say that, you know what, I will not be complete. I am not fulfilled unless I am a cyborg. And so they will take off, you know, healthy parts of their body and replace it with machines and robotic kind of things. You see the guy there with an arm, robot arm. Here's another picture of a guy with a light outside his head and that kind of thing. Now, as graciously and as kind as I can say to those individuals who want to be transhuman, that is a mental illness. That's a mental illness, okay? But here's the deal. 
because we live in a culture now that there is no right or wrong. It's all self-identity. There is no truth. It's my truth versus your truth. You can't say that to anybody anymore. If you do, you're a hater and you're being intolerant. And so today in our culture, I can self-identify as anything. I can self-identify as a cyborg. I want to be transhuman. Or you know what? I want to be female. I feel like I'm a female today. You know what? Maybe your testosterone levels down. I don't know. Or you know what? Or you know, and or you know, I'll be a male, or I'll be both, and you better provide me a bathroom, right? <laughs> and I, I know it's funny, but you know it's true. I mean, there, there's no definitions anymore. There's no right or wrong. I mean, I can sleep with whoever I want to, and you can't tell me otherwise. And I can marry whoever I want to. I can marry my dog. I can marry my cat. And I want the government to give me a marriage license on top of that. And all we got to do is say it's biology, it's psychological. I am self-identifying as this. And when you take God out of the equation, his truth, there's no more definitions. There's no right or wrong. You, You can't define reality. You don't even know who you are anymore. And you don't know what your purpose in life is. That's the world we live in. Why? Because our world has rejected Jesus as the truth. But here's the deal. We still live in a world that God created. And even though you can self-identify and say that, you know what, I can fly, living in the truth of God's world, gravity is going to pull you down. And even though you can claim to have your own truth, eventually, because you live in God's world, you're going to keep hitting the wall of God's truth. Make sense? And so, let me ask you, who do you think knows better how to run your life? You are God. I think God knows best. Let me give you one example. I think God knows best how sex works. You know what? Statistically, who has the most gratifying sexual relationship? It is long-term, monogamous, heterosexual relationships. Why? Because that's God's plan. And when you follow God's plan, it works. When you follow God's plan, relationships work. When you follow God's plan, your finances will be better. It works. When you follow God's plan, you will be healthier. When you follow God's plan, you will have meaning and purpose in life. When you follow God's word, it works. Jesus said, I'm the way and I'm the truth. But then it leads to a third truth claim that Jesus makes. Shout this on your outline. Number three, Jesus says, I am the life. I'm the life. Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's the deal. If you will follow Jesus and his way of salvation, and then you will follow Jesus and the truth of his revelation, then guess what? You will experience Jesus' life. You experience the life that you were created to experience, the life of God himself in you. But if you say, no, I don't want Jesus' way of salvation, no, I do not want to follow Jesus' truth, then guess what? You don't get Jesus' life, right? And that's our culture today. And that's why the number two killer of Americans ages 10 through 35 is suicide. That there are twice as many suicides in America than homicides. We, We read about homicides all the time, and they're bad. They are. I hate them. Twice as many suicides. Why? 
Because when you remove God and his truth from the equation, all you're left with is yourself. That's it. There's a psychologist. His name was Martin Sugelman. I don't believe he's a Christian, but what he did is he wrote about the consequences of our culture because we've removed God out of it. And look at what he writes. This is amazing from a secular psychologist. He says, where can one now turn for identity, for purpose, and for the hope? When you need spiritual furniture, we look around and see that all the comfortable leather sofas and stuffed chairs have been removed. And all that's left to sit on is a small, frail folding chair, the self. That's it. Folks, when you remove God and remove Jesus and his truth, all you're left with is with yourself. And it is small and it is frail. But you know what? Our culture, we're like, okay, we want life, right? So where do we find it? Well, let me give you the three popular options in, in, in America. Number one is this. First of all, you have the naturalist approach. The naturalist approach basically says stay alive, survival of the fittest, keep your DNA going. Actor and rap artist Ice-T once said this. He said, the only reason you're here is to reproduce. Just chill out and reproduce. Keep the species alive. Boy, that'll motivate you to get out of bed in the morning, won't it? <laughs> I doubt it. It may motivate you to get you in bed a lot more. There's got to be more than just you know, reproducing, right? How about this one? The hedonist approach. The hedonist approach is just, it's all for pleasure. Party hardy. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. That was my approach when I first went off to college. And you know what happened after my first year of living that way? I flunked out of college and lost my scholarship. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get very far on this kind of philosophy of life. I better change the way I'm living, right? Now, most of Americans fall into this third category, and it's this, the materialist approach of life. That life is all about the acquisition of stuff, like the old bumper sticker, he who has the most toys wins. That that's how you're going to have life is have more and more stuff and possessions. But we all know that that's not true. That you know what? You know, stuff can give you temporary joy, but it's not long-lasting, is it? Eventually it goes away. There was a study that was done of um, actors and athletes and um, business executives. And what they did is they tracked them and their joy level. And they had these goals. Okay, if I can just achieve this level of success, then I'd be happy. And you know what happened? That whenever the actor got that role, whenever the um, you know, athlete was in the NFL and got the big bucks, whenever the executive got the big deal and got what he was striving for, you know what he discovered? He was still empty. And all the things he has, you know, worked so hard to achieve that goal, he was actually more miserable. Why? Because he realized how empty his life was. That's the way it is. I mean, the fact is, these things don't work. The naturalist approach doesn't work. Why? Because you're eventually going to die yourself. The hedonist approach doesn't work. Why? Because your liver is going to eventually die. The materials approach doesn't work. Why? Because you know what? You still die. And you can't take it with you. And there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. Right? What's the answer to life? Well, the Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 5, 12. He says this. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so if you will experience Jesus Christ and he be your way, and you will experience Jesus Christ in his truth, and you'll seek to follow him in his truth, you will experience Jesus Christ in his life. And it will literally be Christ in you, the hope of glory. You will have hope in the midst of despair. 
And, and with Christ in his life, you'll have peace in the middle of your storms. With Christ as your life, you'll have strength whenever you feel weak. You'll have courage during the middle of your trials. Why? Because the very life of Jesus Christ is sustaining you and holding you and walking with you through life. Jesus promises if you make him the way and the truth, he'll give you the life. Okay? But then, once you make those three claims, the last one is pretty simple. Jot this on your outline. Jesus alone is the answer. Jesus alone is the answer. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, those words may seem exclusive and narrow-minded, but again, once you understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the problem that we have called sin, it makes perfect logical sense. Um, Greg Kokel, he's an apologetics um, debater. He wrote this great book called Tactics that I'd recommend to anybody. But he, um, he tells of a time whenever um, he had done a debate with an atheist. And um, after the debate, this man came up to him. He was a lawyer, Jewish man. And he said to him, he said, you know what? Um, I, I'm a little offended that you Christians keep saying Jesus is the only way and I have to believe in Jesus. And he goes, I'm a Jew. I believe in one true God. I try to live morally for him and try to be a moral person. I don't understand why I need Jesus. And so Greg just asked him this simple question. He said, okay, I want to ask you a couple of questions. The first question is that, um, do you believe that people who commit moral crimes should face some kind of consequences and punishment? And he chuckled and says, well, since I'm a prosecuting attorney, I guess I do believe that, yes. And then Greg says, well, so do I. And he said, now let me ask you a personal question. Have you broken any moral codes and laws of God? And he's like, um, yes, I have. And Greg confessed and says, well, so have I. And so you and I, we've got a problem, don't we? We believe we're guilty, and we believe that our sins deserve to be punished. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. God sends his only antidote to our sin problem, his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived the perfect life we couldn't live, and he died the death that we all deserve. And to prove it, God raised him up from the dead. That's the evidence. Now, that's God's antidote for our sin problem. You can accept it or you can reject it. But whenever you realize it is God's only solution, you better be careful before you reject it. You see, here's the deal. Our sin problem requires a specific antidote. I mean, think about it. If Jesus wasn't the only way, then why did Jesus even come to begin with? Remember whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, allow this cup to pass from me. Remember when Jesus prayed that? Well, the cup didn't pass from Jesus, did it? Why? Because there was no other way. The only reason why Jesus Christ came and lived and died is because there was no other way. Jesus alone solves our sin problems. That's not being narrow. That's it's telling you the truth. I mean, think of it this way. Because many times, let's say you got an ailment. Many times, your illness requires a specific antidote. Like, let's just say you have a brain tumor. Taking an aspirin every day is not going to take care of your brain tumor. Now, you may go, but I want it to. I believe it will. I'm sorry. That's not going to solve your problem. You need an oncologist. Makes sense? I mean, the fact is, is let's just say your carburetor's broken your car. Filling up 
the tires with air is not going to solve the carburetor problem. You need another solution. You're, you're trying to fix it the wrong way. That's what religion does. Okay, if you got a leaky faucet, who do you call? You call a plumber. You don't call a cardiologist to fix your, you know, your, your plumbing problems at the house. But you know what? If you need a heart transplant, calling a plumber ain't going to do it. You better call a cardiologist, right? Can I tell you something? That Jesus is God's cardiologist. And he solves the ultimate heart problem that we have. And that is our sin. Think of it. We all, all of humanity, stand guilty before a holy God. We deserve to be punished. We have a debt that must be paid. And God sends us a rescuer to ransom us slaves from our sins. God sends us a kinsman redeemer to pay for the family debt. God sends us a sacrificial lamb to die for all of our sins. That's what Jesus Christ is. We have a unique problem, and there was only one solution, and Jesus Christ is that solution. Think about it. Only Jesus did those things for you. Muhammad didn't die on the cross for your sins. Buddha didn't suffer for your guilt. Krishna didn't rise from the dead. Jesus Christ alone did those things. And look, that's not being exclusive. God's being gracious. God's not being narrow-minded. God's saying, I'm so gracious to you. Look at what I've done through my son. And so you can get mad at God and say, how can you say Jesus is the only way? I want to fall on my knees and say, thank you, Jesus, for making a way. Right? Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. So let me ask you a simple question. Is Jesus your way? Is Jesus your truth? If he is, Jesus will be your life. Max Licato tells a story of a time when he was growing up in West Texas. Max is a pastor in um, San Antonio now. And he tells this time that he was um, in West Texas going through high school. And he said there was a rancher there named Joel Albright. And Joel Albright was this rough and tumble. He was this rancher. And you did not trespass on Joel Albright's land. If you did, you're going to get shot. And so the thing is, is that Joel Albright had a youngest son. His name was James, and Max Licato and James Albright were best friends. They went together, you know, they were hung out together in high school. They played football together in high school. And um, one particular Friday night after a away game, way out of town, um, you know, James Albright says to Max, hey, you want to spend the night with me? And he said, sure, that'd be great. And so they come out to um, Joel Albright's ranch well after 1 o'clock in the morning. And um, while they're driving down the long driveway, Max Licato realizes, you know what? I've never met Mr. Albright, and I don't think he's going to recognize my car. And sure enough, as soon as they pull up to the house, porch light comes off. Mr. Albright steps out on the front porch in his underwear with a flashlight and a gun. And Max Licato steps out. And that spotlight goes right in his face. And he goes, who are you? What are you doing here so late? Now, James, realizing what's happening, quickly steps out of the car and says, Dad, it's me. This is Max. And immediately, the spotlight goes down and says, Oh, come on in, boys. How's the football game? Now, Max Licato then writes, Now, why could I come in? Because I was with the son 
of the Father. And it's the same way with you and I. We're all going to die one day, and we're going to stand before a holy God, and you will stand taking the responsibilities of your sin by yourself. And the spotlight of God's judgment will be on you. But if you are in the company of the Son, the spotlight goes down. And the Father says, come on in. Folks, that's not being intolerant. That's being gracious. And that's the greatest thing we can share with this world. Amen? Praise God. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.